0: Hi, this is Lainey Cameron, and you're listening to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I'm a marketing expert, a digital nomad, and author of the 11-time award-winning novel The Exit Strategy. If you haven't read it yet, I'd love to know what you think. I created this podcast to showcase authors and books I admire. You can follow me on Instagram, watch me make a fool of myself on TikTok, and my website is laineycameron.com. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love any suggestions for future episodes. Also, it helps a lot if you subscribe and give it a quick review. This episode is with Joy Jordan Lake, the best selling author of eight books, and it's a must listen for lovers of historical fiction. We talk about Joy's historical novel, Under a Gilded Moon, which was inspired by the story of the building of the Biltmore Estate during the Gilded Age. I am here with Joy Jordan Lake, and I'm hoping her dog, because he's going to come on and off screen, I suspect.
1: (laughs) What's he called? This is Teddy, the rescue pup.
0: Oh, he's adorable. I'm sorry for those of you who are listening on audio, you'll have to go to the website to see the picture of Teddy, who is adorable. He's big and he's fluffy. He's small and fluffy. So I'm excited. We're gonna talk about Under a Gilded Moon. And this book is historical fiction and it has done so well. I mean, I invited you on because so many people have talked to me about this book and I'm hearing words like, here's what people said to me. It is among the best written historical fiction out there. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. So, and she says, I was swept away by this dazzling masterfully written tale of the clash of classes and cultures around the Biltmore in North Carolina. Joy Jordan Lake brings the past alive with impeccable details, raw emotion and parallels to our present world, a triumph. Wow. Emily Carpenter, right. By the way, everyone should be reading her. So. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So talk to me about the inspiration. You just shared a little bit that like you've been in the, in that area. And so where did the whole idea come from? Like what, what was the initial spark that got you going?
1: You know, there are a lot of different sparks. I grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee. I was born in Washington, D.C., but really did my growing up in, in the mountains of East Tennessee. But I spent a lot of summers in the mountains of North Carolina. Mountains, just other state line. But on that side, don't tell Tennesseans, but the, the mountains get a little more grand in North Carolina. <laughs> spent a lot of time at um, summer camps. And um, just I just have this long-standing love affair with those mountains. They really just speak to my soul as they do for a lot of people. And um, I'll try to make a, a long story very short. But one summer I was um, working for Camp Rockman. I was the sailing instructor on Lake Eden. If you can imagine Camp Rockman for boys world's best job for college student. And <laughs> one day, very, very hungry, getting off work. I was just covered in fish fertilizer and I was just, just, disgusting mess, wet hair, cut off jeans. And so my buddies came running by saying, we're going to Deanie's house for dinner. Deanie was the girlfriend of the son of the guy who owned our camp. And I was like, okay, great, free pizza. That's, that's marvelous. Get off, you know, for a few hours. And um, I just followed these guys in my little car and um, wound all around. And we got to the Biltmore estate and I thought, oh, well, that's the end of my journey. Cause I look like heck, you know, <laughs> I didn't even have my ID on. And, and the guy at the big gate, of the Biltmore estate waves us through like we're special people, you know, and and like Whoa. changed hands. And I'm thinking what on earth? We wind all around all these back roads and pull up finally to this cute little house with, um, and go inside. And Deanie greets us warmly. I just met her once before, very down to earth. And, um, very warm and and I'm asking all kinds of awkward questions, just not realizing then finally someone nudges me. And I'm looking back at this gorgeous plate glass window, looking out onto these beautiful fields. And the only thing you can see besides these gorgeous fields is the Biltmore house. And I thought, okay, Deanie's my age and all I own is this beaten up car and my apartment back at college, you know, like sits underground. <laughs> I'm looking up at people's undercarriage of their cars, you know, and you like this is interesting because I was really feeling like Deanie and I were, you know, pretty much on the same page. And um, somebody nudges me and goes, "Joy, you're the only person who doesn't know Deanie is going to inherit. She and her brother are going to inherit the Biltmore Estate one day." <laughs> this is how, this was news to me. I I had really thought you and I were kind of living the life of uh, you know 21 year olds and. Uh, Anyway, delightful person, very down-to-earth, and of fun moments where I thought, oh, wow. And it, and it hit me that George Vanderbilt, with all his millions back in the 1890s, had the same love affair with those mountains that I did, only he had all the money in the world. He could have built this house anywhere he wanted anywhere. on the planet, and he chose those mountains. So that was just one of those moments where I thought, oh, I, you know. Anyway, and George Vanderbilt himself was this fascinating historical character. He's more a secondary character, but he's he in and of himself is just fascinating. So I loved getting to do the research on him. I kind of felt like we were buddies, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what does that research
0: and the process look like for writing a book like this? I was just saying before we started that I'm glad I write contemporary fiction because even just the research involved in that, like you can go down a rat hole and end up like researching things you didn't really need to know by the time you remove the chapter, you know, three revisions later. How do you deal with that whole like revising and research to do, do all the research up front? Do you do it as you go? Like how do you do that with such a, a detailed novel that has
1: all these elements of history in it? You know, that is a great question. You're so right. Any of us can totally go down rat holes and and any of us too, with contemporary too, if you visit a place and there again you can get distracted just you know visiting something that later you don't even need. Um I'm I'm kind of learning as I go to, that it's sort of a dance. If you do all your research up front, at least for me, you're right. Some of that stuff is going to get cut out. You've wasted a lot of time and energy and maybe photocopying fees. and who knows what. <laughs> um, but I'm kind of learning to do enough research to kind of, to find the story, find the interesting characters, find the history that maybe nobody really remembers all the obscure, interesting stuff. And, um, and then you do enough enough to get going and then you go back and research some more once you, cause your writing always takes these turns, you know, or you stumble right. or you've never, I mean, a historical character you've never heard of before that happened with this book several times. And, um, or sometimes you have to go looking for, um, you know, for for another piece you realize, wait, I, you know, really don't know anything about this and so you have I'm to-
0: fascinated like what's your most common note that you have to come back to like for me a lot of it is body language and I'll be like fix body language later but like is yours like work out whether that even existed like what kind of notes do you write to yourself as you're editing
1: well that sort of thing and also my husband years ago with my very first novel um said And he's an Italian, I should tell you. So he thinks about food constantly. You know, that's where his brain, that's his default mode. And then he forces himself occasionally to think about something non-food related. And I apparently have the reverse brain because he said, you know, you realize no one ever eats in your novels, right? (laughs) No one actually thought, okay, that's a real problem because some people you know, they want to, they want to read about food or how does it taste or how does it smell? Or so I've tried to be more conscious. So sometimes I will write myself notes, you know, what were they eating? And so with the the Vanderbilts in, um, in the Biltmore estate with George and the kind of friends he was inviting and his family, um, you know, these were like seven course dinners. So that was fascinating to go back and find some old actual menus from the Biltmore estate and, um, and then just, you know, from that era, Americans at that level, economically, the seven course meals, what would they typically eat in that era? So that was fascinating. And then conversely, what were people eating in the 1890s in the North Carolina mountains? The the farmers who were barely getting by, you know, and it, it's a, you know, very- well, You know, I
0: was I was actually appreciating that. It's interesting that you mentioned, the, uh, mentioned it. There's a scene early on when they're on the train and they're eating um, some kind of sandwich with pork and apple in it. And um I was like looking that one up because I was fascinated. I was like, that kind of sounds like something you would have in the UK. I grew up in the UK and I was like fascinated the concept that you would put apple in with this in some kind of bread product. I, it was interesting to me. So I liked that you put the food
1: in there. <laughs> glad, I'm glad. Well that's that's one of those things, you know, as you know, you kind of begin to push yourself on as you go. But that was right. a lot of apples and you know, just anything you could grow or anything um that was right there in the mountains.
0: So I'm interested in advice you might have for other writers and even for other historical fiction writers. I mean, like I said, this book's so well-reviewed. It's been called Masterful. Like, what do you advise people who want to write either just fiction or historical fiction? And maybe they're kind of where you
1: were quite a few years ago and they're starting out. Like, like what advice do you give? I would say um, two things that sound like they could be opposites, but you you have to be brave enough to to give it a try. You know, there's so many, we all meet so many people. I'm sure you do too, Lainey, who say, I've always wanted to write. Oh yes. And, and really the difference between doing it and not doing it is just making the time, you know, Um, and lots of other things, discipline and reading a lot of other people and all, but mainly just get started, you know, make the time. Um, So there's that element of just being brave enough to do it and face Mm -hmm. the that it's scary because people can tell you you're terrible. and you're, You know, you should be ashamed to be breathing. And you, know. and you <laughs> probably are terrible, right? Like, I was terrible.
0: Like, every first draft is terrible, right? And so getting past that fear factor of, aha, it's going to be terrible. And it's not about you. Everybody's first drafts are terrible.
1: right? So let go of it and go. You know, just be free. As a friend of mine likes to say, you know, just, just be brave and get out there and try. And then, but then converse to that, um, be humble, you know, like be brave, but be humble, because I've had, I I used to teach a lot of creative writing, and I've had so many students who are so unbelievably gifted, and either they would get so beaten down by rejection letters from publishers or agents or whatever, or they would have this little bit inflated sense of, no, I'm better than that, like you should recognize my, and they really would be very gifted, it's just that everybody gets rejected, everybody, you know, Except maybe Maeve Binchy, I think, got accepted the first try. But but other than that, um, you know, most of us has stacks of rejection letters, and uh, so you gotta listen. But when someone's kind enough to take a moment and say, "I'm rejecting you because," you know, or in a reader in a reader or writer group, if someone says, "I love this," but you know, listen really well to those people. If you think they have your best interest, and they're not just trying to take you down. And ninety-nine percent of those people are going to be on your side. If they have some critique, even if it's hard to hear, you know, be humble enough to hear it because they're taking their time to try to help you out. And I think some writers get caught there, and you know, push back or they. Just- yeah,
0: I, I I got given some great advice. I was at a writers workshop, and I think I asked the question of, well, how do you balance that? Right, you have to have confidence in what you're doing in order to stick with it and also to find your voice and, and stick with the pieces that are your voice that you believe in. But you also need to be able to take feedback and you can't be so overconfident that you can't listen. And I was given great advice that said, don't try and walk a line being both at once, try and alternate between the two. Oh. And I thought that was really interesting insight because yeah, it's hard to be both, right? You can't simultaneously say, I know what I'm doing and this deserves to be in the world, but it's probably not as good as it should be and I'm going to listen to all your feedback. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> It's great. It's crap. Yeah. <laughs> and so I love that advice. They said, just step step between one and the other. And I wish I could remember who it was who said that. I will credit them later if I can remember. But yeah, I thought that was interesting advice to step back and forth between those modes. And that way you get the best of both and you can keep moving forward.
1: That's nicely said. I like that. Yeah.
0: So what about books that you admire or that you've enjoyed reading? I have two questions for you here. First is anything you recommend or have read recently. And second is, I'm actually interested in the historical fiction world, which is not what I write. How do you balance like what you read while you're writing? And do you have to limit yourself in any way as you're actually writing or drafting?
1: Oh, well, okay. I'll start with that one and work backwards as far as limiting myself. I love to read as as I guess all writers do, right? Um, and so I do have to be careful because sometimes I'll get so pulled into a book. You know, what I really want to do is keep reading and not get to my own writing. That's dangerous. Or if it's so good when I'm reading, there's that danger of, well, crap, I'll just quit. Because, you know, this is not as good as Kristen Hannah's The Nightingale. So I'm just, I'm just throwing in the towel or, you know, <laughs> there's that danger too, that you can really psych yourself out and, um, I, I I try to keep reading lots of different kinds of things. I love Louise Penny's mystery novels set up in rural Quebec. And um, even when I'm not write, writing a mystery, I just love that sense of place. And she writes a lot about food and smells and seasons. And so I always find that entertaining. And um, you just interviewed, I, I think a few weeks or maybe months ago, Barbara O'Neill. And she always has such a, an interesting sense of place for these different places in the world where her books are set. She does. So she you know, I'm always reading just huge stacks of things and have, if I started mentioning friends who are writers, I'd get myself in trouble, but always inspired by them. They just, it's really fun to be able to read things by, um, well, like you mentioned Emily Carpenter, you know, read things by, right. you know, and think oh, this, this is
0: so and does the time period matter to you? Like, do you have to be careful not to read something in a different time period
1: when you're writing one or it doesn't kind of, you don't absorb it in that way? If it's close in time, it's almost more dangerous. You know, like World War One, World War Two, you know, that can be like, whoops, that'd be easy to kind of slip in terms of technology or, you know, sort of what's, right. what, it can, honestly, any kind of reading can, can both really help and both potentially, I just try to be aware if I'm, um, so sucked into someone else's world. Sometimes I'll have to quit reading fiction for a while and just read more history and biography until I finish whatever deadline I'm working on for my own book and then go back. So sometimes talking about going back and forth, sometimes I'll have to just quit reading fiction because it can be, you never want to write too much like someone else. You just want to be inspired. But if, you know, if you get too sucked into the world, you can find, Oh goodness. i sound more like, Right. I've I've heard
0: writers say that, that they pick up other writers' voices, which is interesting to me. But I think I suffer more from the danger of self-comparison, which is what you said, which is you read like Barbara O'Neill, right? And it's funny because in her interview, she actually talks about this, like, don't compare yourself because that might not be your strength, right? So like her setting, to your point, her sense of place is amazing. And I have to be careful when I'm reading not to go like, oh my goodness, I will never write like Barbara O'Neill because I'm not supposed
1: to. It's not my style. It's okay. <laughs> exactly maybe you know character maybe dialogue maybe something else is really where you're hitting it out of the park and so right exactly we're terrible about most of us about being up on one thing and and not giving ourselves credit where maybe we could other areas so let's take a quick peek at where people can connect with you before I ask
0: you my last question here so you're at Lake underscore books on instagram and joyjordanlake.com online. They can find all your other social medias there. And I always like to wrap up by asking Is there anything you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked you that you'd like to be sure to mention today?
1: Oh, how nice. Well, I, if for anybody who likes the Maine coast, uh, the coast of Maine, um, especially small villages there or the Boston area, my next book comes out in a year um, and it's set on the coast of Maine, kind of in a a fictional town, but it's based on Kenny Buckport. So I'll just throw that out there because I'm excited about that. It's been, and I hope that's the beginning of a series. So is it a, is it a mystery or is it what kind of, yeah, it's a mystery series, but it's um, similar to, to what Louise Penny does. I hope I'm um, without imitating her, but just admiring her. It's more, um, it's who done it, but it's also the why. I'm always fascinated with the psychology around, you know, what what makes people do things. What makes give or commit murder or be bitter the rest of your life, or you know. So it's it's as much concerned with what makes us do what we do as it is just the who.
0: Oh, that sounds great. I love those kind of like psychological get inside the head of of, love it, love it. Just read one like that. And it was funny. I put in my review, if you love books where you get inside the main character's head, you'll adore this book. Knowing that some people would say, oh, I don't want to spend my time inside someone's head. And I'm like, that's not the book for you. (laughs) It's
1: helping. Yeah.
0: Well, it has been a pleasure to speak with you, Joy. It was so much fun. And congratulations, like I said, this book. Everybody loves it. I'm so glad I got to have you on because you really are among the best out there in women's fiction and in historical women's fiction. So thank you for spending time with me.
1: You're so kind, Lainey. Thank you so much for having me on and please keep in touch.
0: For links to the books that were mentioned in this episode, the author's social media and more, visit bestofwomensfiction.com. You can also see the video version of this same episode. I'd love if you followed me, Lainey Cameron, on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the podcast right here. And if you enjoy it, please share with friends.